Totally Not Unhealthy podcast, episode 12, back after a bit of a hiatus, uh, sitting down with someone that I recently met at the gym I'm now going to. Uh, I thought it'd be pretty cool to sit down and kind of interview him a little bit, just have a conversation about, you know, his life and this and that, because, you know, at a glance and just to paint the picture, probably someone that your average person would be scared to walk up to in a grocery <laughs> store. You're like, holy shit, this guy could probably break me in half. And he, that giant fucking beard is intimidating, man. So... Uh, yeah, dude. Thanks, if you buddy. Want to I guess yourself. that's a compliment. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm I'm Ryan. Um, Bo and I met at the gym not that long ago now. I guess a couple months. A couple months, yeah. Yeah. And I'm stoked you decided to stick around. You were thinking about leaving town. I was. They um, played a bit of a role in me staying, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we lucked out. Um, yeah. As far as background on myself. It's a long-winded story, dude. I don't know where you want me to start. Like, I mean, I think we got like an hour just shy. So if you want, so we'll just start just, at the beginning. Just get in there, so man. 1992, yeah, I was born on a rainbow. <laughs> no, uh, I guess my background. I, I went to the University of British Columbia. I got my degree in forensic psychology. Nice. Um, and I thought that I was going to work for the Supreme Court. That was sort of the plan: uh, mm-hmm. diagnosing dangerous offender status and sure. violent criminals. Um, and that was a, a great time. Loved my degree. It was fantastic. But I wound up with like a really expensive piece of paper that I don't use. <laughs> I hear that story a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I was between my undergrad and my master's and I was just laying low back home. I, I moved home from, from BC mm-hmm. just to, you know, kick it with the family a little bit and take some time off before going to do my master's. And mm-hmm. my buddy knew that I had a bunch of credentials uh, as like a, a lifter, a weightlifter. Um, I had never wanted to work in the fitness industry at all. Yeah. I genuinely had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, actively avoided working in the fitness <laughs> industry. Um, but I had a number of credentials so that I could learn how to make myself a more competent lifter. Mm-hmm. And so a buddy of mine asked me if I would help his friend open a gym. I was kind of like, okay, I mean, I'm taking time off school. I might as well make a couple bucks and I'll, I'll help the guy out in the process. And so he introduced me to... Now, one of my best friends, his name's Kyle Ardill, um, he opened a, a business called SWAT Health, and essentially the business plan that was we, we operated performance centers uh, as well as clinical spaces. So nice. uh, there was a lot of synergy between the two. If a professional athlete needed to see their chiropractor or their massage therapist or their sports physician, they could also see their trainer, and everybody had this, the same hands That's on the amazing same Amazing to have that right? all in one spot, too. Really, so. really great, man, especially for really elite athletes. So that was sort of our bread and butter and we did that for I was supposed to be there for about six months it turned into six years um, we opened three more facilities um, again with a, a specialization in, in treating and, and training professional athletes but our business plan wound up kind of pivoting a little bit when we got introduced to Jellystone Film Productions they found out we had private facilities mm-hmm. and so when they were filming in Toronto it was ideal for their actors and for their stunt crews to be able to have a private space with competent you know, uh, personnel that the paparazzi wouldn't be able to bother them or whatever. So I wound up uh, working on productions for a little while and eventually I, I chose for you know, totally personal reasons. I still love the guys and, and they're still running a great business, but mm-hmm. I decided to leave uh, SWAT and I, I took a contract with one of the actors that I had met while working for Jellystone. Very uh, cool. And so I worked on the Shazam production i trained shazam to to do that movie so uh, that's was, sweet yeah it was awesome Very yeah cool. his name's zach levi he's a really great guy so i moved down to austin texas and i was helping him out 
down there for honestly about a year um which was an awesome time like really just a great experience met a lot of really cool people did a lot of cool stuff um and like working in that industry is really cool man like i can only imagine yeah a lot of uh it opens a lot of doors to you that i mean you're just otherwise not not available Mm -hmm. um did that for about a year and when i finished that contract i decided that i kind of just wanted to like lay low for a minute um so <laughs> you, you'll probably dig this story. <laughs> I went into Austin. I've never been on a motorcycle in my life. Yeah. And I walked into a Harley dealership and I was like, how much is that one? And the guy was like, oh, that one's $8,000. I was like, I'll buy it for seven. He was like, okay, it's old. So I'm like, okay, give me, give me one sec. <laughs> I go outside I and I call a dealership in Portland, Oregon. And I say, hey, I have this motorcycle. It has this many kilometers on it. Well, miles, I guess, in yeah. the States. Uh, like, I had done the math for if I was going to take the a three-month road trip. <laughs> and so I figured out how far I was going to go, how yeah. long it was going to take me. And I was like, if I came there and I sold it to you, how much would you buy it for? It was like seven grand. <laughs> so literally, I Perfect. bought the thing with it already having sold it in Portland. It was awesome. That's fantastic. Dude, it was dope. So... I go back in and I was like, I don't have a license or insurance. I've never been on one. Like, is that a problem? And yeah. I'm, I'm in Texas. So the guy gives me like an up down and he's like, son, this is Texas. You can ride out of here naked if you pay me. And I was like, okay, rad. perfect. Yeah. So I gave him the money, learned how to ride a motorcycle while doing a three month motorcycle trip. Like I, Best way to I learn. thought that you needed, I didn't know how to turn it on. I couldn't figure yeah. it out. So somebody showed me obviously for, for day one. And then I did like a three-month motorcycle trip, riding across Texas through New Mexico, Utah, um, back down, and then across the border through to San Diego, San Diego up to Vancouver ultimately, but I I ditched the bike in Portland and caught a bus. It's fucking amazing. Uh, Yeah, so I got to Vancouver like three weeks before COVID, which was a shit show. I can only imagine. And as soon as they started shutting down, I was like, I'm out of here. So I moved to South Africa. (laughs) (laughs) I just laid there. Well, I got a a couple of my best buddies are are, are Afrikaans. So I I booted over to South Africa to, you know, better to have restrictions with a sandy beach than Uh, stuck in a Canadian winter. Completely valid. (laughs) So I laid low in South Africa for about a year. um, And then Trudeau started talking about shutting down the borders, right? So I kind of like panic moved home got here and like you know i was used to doing cool stuff like adventures are important to me yeah so after like a year of literally i'm like back at my mom's house just like waiting for covid to end which never ever did um and so i was like okay i'll kind of stop waiting for covid to end and i'll start working again i started working with uh power lifters and i mean that's that's my passion anyways is, is powerlifting for myself lifted up a bar with over 800 some pounds on it there the other day so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. every once in a while thanks <laughs> yeah. man um i'm i'm like you know i guess i should be modest but like a competent power lifter um, but i'm much better at, at coaching than i am at lifting myself so I, I took on a number of lifters locally um and pretty quickly we took all of their respective national records so that's a flex. pretty much everyone on our team nice. has their national records. And two of them in uh, four weeks actually are taking their respective world records. Uh, and hopefully a third as well. That's amazing. So I was working with powerlifters. It's been great. Uh, and in the process, I became really close with Frank McGrath. 
Um, and the two of us are in the process of starting his first supplement company. It's very exciting. Yeah, so that's kind of like a really long-winded, meandering way to get to the bottom of who I am. No, that's really good. Like, you know, just kind of the same as everyone listening. You know, I'm just getting to know this, too. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all you see is just the big bearded dude at the gym. <laughs> yeah, right? So I, it's funny that the the story with the bike, too, because what was it? Um, like, I rode some dirt bikes as a kid. Yeah. Um, but it was, like, one day I hadn't r- ridden anything else ever since. And then I was, like, I think 22 or something like that. Same thing. I was like, fuck this, man. I want a bike. Yeah. So the same thing. I just went into dealership, financed it. And when I went, left, I was, like, I'm trying to remember. I think I Googled it. I was, like... What's the gears? I think it's one down, down, one down, and then up. Yeah, (laughs) so so funny. I did the same thing. That's great. Um, Have you done any long hauls? No, I picked up a. See, I want to. I was that was my shithead. What were you riding? Just a Ducati Monster. Oh yeah, you can't do a long haul on that, especially my size. Like I can't even like I can't feel my groin after two hours. Yeah, it's like game over. No, what we got to do is we got to get a couple of like road kings or cruisers. And we got to do like a big old road trip, dude. That'd be fantastic. I want to do the opposite of what I did last time. So like last time I started in Texas, went so west, and then like up the coast. On the west coast there, down like the California yeah. stuff? No, so that was awesome. I already did that. Oh, did I did that. the California coast like three times. Okay, <laughs> it's dude, just it that. So yeah, I got you. Um, like I did it at sunrise, and then I did it at sunset. Like, I, was like, <laughs> I need this, I need this from every vantage point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, no, next time I want to go, I'll do that too if you want to do it. But, <laughs> Next time I want to go Toronto over to Nova Scotia, Nova sure. Scotia down the coast to Florida, and then like across through Louisiana and stuff. Back That'd be to cool. Texas. Be sick. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get you a big boy bike. Okay. Get we'll off we'll the put Ducatis. this on the to-do list. Absolutely. All yes. right. And the listeners 100%. are going to hold us to it. So Right. It's Yeah, it's now been said. It's, yeah, it's maybe factual. someone works at Harley and they want to sponsor us. <laughs> Wouldn't that be just yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That'd okay. Be great. Going full circle now. I'm curious now if like, Originally, because you, like you said, you know, you didn't want to make like a whole thing out of fitness. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, you became self-taught and just did that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Why did you originally like get into it? Why did you start and like why, why did you end I up sticking with lifting it? or yeah. why did I start working in the fitness industry? Start lifting first. Lifting? Yeah. Well, I guess probably the same reason that every like obsessive meathead gets really into lifting. I think I was probably kind of like a, you know, shy fat kid that like <laughs> didn't really stand. Like I was never like unathletic or unpopular like mm-hmm. I always had friends and I liked playing sports and stuff but I was certainly never first pick like I yeah. was never really a standout at honestly pretty much anything that I did for most of my childhood and kind of like early teens um, again not I was never like bad at anything that I tried to do but I was also I just I just certainly didn't excel so it was in grade 10 or 11, I can't remember. I could probably find out. But the high school I went to is called Cothra Park. And mm-hmm. we had a class that you certainly are not allowed to have anymore, which was called Men's Only. And there's no way that in 2022, yeah. be canceled there's still in three a class seconds. called Men's Only. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it was a weightlifting class. So like once a week, they took the boys from the gym class into the weight room and they taught us how to like bench press and squat. And nice. Um, and literally, it was my, I'd never touched weights before I just like happened to be like I had the best bench press out of all the kids in my class for no reason (laughs) just literally just no reason (laughs) and it was it was the first time that I ever felt any sort of like standout sort of like um praise from my peers it was like the first time that I was the best shit at a thing it's a good feeling and I don't even think I'd ever crossed my mind I just never stopped like I was like very quickly into weightlifting yeah um 
got better and better at it very quickly. And there, I think there's something very tangible about how hard you work is like directly proportionate to the results that you get, yep. which is very, very cool. I don't think that that's the same. And like you can be, you know, the hardest working basketball or football player. And like if someone decks you on the court, you're <laughs> it, it doesn't show, right? True. Like, whereas in, in weightlifting specifically, if you're doing the work, you will reap results, the results. Yeah. So like uh, very quickly, I was pretty obsessed with it. I got like really into Ronnie Coleman. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I was good at it. I, do, I distinctly remember showing like I had this big crush on this girl named Sarah Leone, and I was like, "This is Ronnie Coleman. Like one day I'm going to be." Buff. I love that. And everybody was kind of like, "Okay, Ryan. Yeah, like, sure, you're a milk bag, dude. Like you might be good at bench pressing, but you're never going to like be a big guy." And I mean, I I don't know. I guess I just never even really like considered that I wouldn't be where I am now. Mm-hmm. I just knew just that knew if right I kept doing the work, like you'd keep. 100 getting bigger and closer like, to your goals and that carry over for me i think because same thing as you originally like i was skinny stoner skateboarder and i was like fuck weightlifting like well, i don't need that shit yeah, like yeah. whatever um and i had a friend close friend that started lifting and he was like getting results and she's like you guys should come work out with me and we kind of just like made fun of him but we're like nah yeah. i'm not doing that shit um and then i for the most part i think it was what was it starting college just after high school i was like had like some instance with some chick or something. I was like tall, skinny as fuck. Too. I just mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck this, dude! I'm gonna get huge." Yeah, yeah, I'll show um, you. Yeah. But it shifted like very quickly from that whole like external shit where it was just kind of that was one of the bigger things like you mentioned where, you know, like busting ass for I think three or six months or so, and it was like, "Fuck!" Now you start to you, see you it. Put in the work. Yeah, you get the results and like the mentality carryover that like shifted into every other aspect of my life. I was like, "Fuck." Right? I don't think enough people truly recognize how much carryover there is from the, the, uh, the concepts, the discipline that you learn in the weight room into every other aspect of your oh, life. Like, 100%. I, mean, I, I truly think that the man I am today is uh, directly because of my kind of obsession with weightlifting. 100%. And I, um, I guarantee for most of your journey, too, probably because I get the question sometimes, you're like, how are you so motivated? And I fucking I laugh so hard because I'm like, dude, I'm not motivated at all. Half the I'm time not, I hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, it's just discipline. Like my my dad went to a boarding school. I think it's still a boarding school, but it was called uh, Notre Dame. It's a hockey school in mm-hmm. in uh, Regina. And I don't know if it's like part of their mantra or something, but their graduates get like a piece of paper, and it talks about the three D's. And my dad was always telling me when I was a kid, like. The three D's are what make you a man, mm. and it's discipline, dedication, and desire. And like you apply those three concepts to anything, and eventually you will be successful at it. And that's just like something that was like bred into me. I don't know, but I'm certainly I mean, not always motivated, man. Yeah, I love the thing. Like, I love lifting. It's it's very personally validating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like you said. It wasn't. It very quickly stopped being about like external factors. It's not about anybody else. It's Nobody cares about squatting hundred pounds. To be honest, like most people don't realize that there's a difference between 600 pounds and 800 pounds. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's a lot. Like, holy fuck. So, like, I could stop for other people, but I can't for me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just so. uh, I think there's something really beautiful about realizing your potential. Like, really seeing how how far you can take something. Like, how many of those barriers you can overcome. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I got into weightlifting. Sort of by accident. 
just happens it's, to be better at benching. It than feels good, right? I, yeah. One of the things that it stuck for me and became like my bread and butter just because kind of just to spin off of exactly what you just said in terms of um, like fulfilling or seeing your potential. Um, like I used to have like really bad bouts of depression. Mm. Still like get the odd wave here and there. And it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of life highs and lows of everything. Yeah. Um, and I could never really pinpoint why. I was like, why the fuck is this happening? Because mm. um, on paper, like everything's fine. And even like mentally, I was like, you know, nothing's innately nothing's wrong. Like wrong, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it comes back to, I, I can't remember where, who, it was some quote, some of, along the premise of this, where if you are not doing your best to fulfill your potential, the potential you know you're capable of achieving, right. that's where you get stuck being depressed. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that fucked me up is, like, if you have people in your life um, and like bless their soul where they're like, you know, they're, they're giving you props and they're commending you like, oh, like you're doing so good. You're doing amazing. Right. And you're, you, you know, kind of get a chip on your shoulder. You're like, oh, you're right. You just, you eat it up like it's comfort food. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I am doing a lot of work and sure. Great. If you're comparing yourself to other people, you're like, oh, sure. I'm doing good in this aspect, whatever. Right. But like innately, I know that I could be doing you so know, much yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. That's what would leave me in this perpetual tailspin where I'm like, fuck. Um, so yeah, it's been that applying the gym to that in terms of just using it as a focal point. Mm-hmm. Like if it, it gives me something that grounds me in my daily life, it's where it's like put it. I can eat my food, I can go to the gym. Just, just well, what these we said. Things you have tangible control over. One hundred percent. Right. Like nobody else is responsible for me eating my meals yeah. or doing my reps, doing my sets. Right. Yeah. No, I totally. I get that. I, that's really very introspective. I never really thought about depression that way. I've had like my issues with mm-hmm. depression. Um, I know you talked a little bit about like hallucinogens. Is, is that something that you use to manage? It's also, it's all tools that I use to like ground me. Mm-hmm. So like the, the lifting is like a daily thing. Right. So that keeps me like yeah, hopefully centered. And acid isn't a daily thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be, <laughs> yeah, be a little bit of a struggle. It'd be tough to no, that's make it to the gym. Kind of like, um, I like to try to do like mushrooms maybe like once a month. Cool. Um, it kind of just centers me, brings me back because like, as human beings, we had like a really like our ego isn't an enemy; mm-hmm. it's our friend. Really, it's like our I think it's defense a defense mechanism. Concept, yeah, it's here to protect us from the things that we can't like conceptualize or mm-hmm. fathom or digest at this point. Mm. So, you know, as we live our daily lives and we interact with our environment, the world around us, like we perceive the world through a lens through our ego. And, you know, so for the things that we do, like why we do the things that we do, we'll tell ourselves the story and this narrative. Right, and it gets stripped away under... Yeah, so you do yeah. the drugs and it's like, oh, you son of a bitch, you're so full of shit. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not what you're... I was like, yep, get it together, <laughs> motherfucker, because you're lying to yourself. Yeah, yeah it's too funny, man. So that's kind of... Yeah, I, I had... I don't know if this is the... Hopefully it's not an issue to say on a it's, recording device, but uh, I had a professor in university. Maybe I just won't say his name. Yeah, just keep it anonymous. It's all good. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He's got tenure. He said it very confidently. Yeah. I don't think he would mind <laughs> yeah. me talking about it. But basically to our class, of, it was like 500 students. Um, he basically suggested that at no, no corner of neurology would suggest that under a, an MRI, like under a brain scan, mm-hmm. the most introspective that the human brain is capable of being is on LSD. He was like, nobody that knows what they're talking about would suggest that that's not the case. Like, you are firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if anybody in this room is ever at, like, a, a 
a turning point, a crossroads, um, whatever, a, an obstacle that they cannot confront. They cannot figure it. They can't get past this. He was like, I suggest you try LSD and you try to be very introspective about what it is that you're dealing with. Um, and I've never really been into drugs. It's yeah. just not. Yeah, that's totally fair. Serve my, my lifestyle. Um, and I was, whatever, dealing with some stuff a while back. And I tried acid for the first time. And that was game a game changer, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, completely shifted my perspective. What I was worried about, fixed it. Just no like problem. that, eh? like, gone. Day one. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, was, uh, it was a very powerful experience. And it, it changed the way that I think about and deal with my depression, for sure. Um, now, I also wound up taking Ciprolex. And, and that was really very beneficial for a while. I feel like it kind of just gave me the tools to, like, smooth things out and like handle my business yeah. to make sure that I, I didn't have issues. Mm -hmm. um, but acid was much more profoundly impactful than, than antidepressants were. I, they come back to the time, time. I won't get into all the studies and be like, turn this into like a pro, do this right, or that. Sure. No, it definitely, I think where it gets lost in translation in terms of like public perception just for everyone is that, a lot of people just fuck around. It's like recreational or you just want to Yeah, like, they're just oh, tripping oh, out and yeah, be like, well, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's not at all why I took it. And yeah. I'm not that kind of guy at all. No, no, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. And, and acid was really a very powerful tool for me to be able to navigate 100%. my own sort of life and perspective and issues yeah. that I was I was dealing with. Um, but I guess so is lifting. So. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> In a different way. But yeah, no. yeah, man. No, that's uh, that's really an interesting way to think about that. So just the, uh, what, the fulfilling the potential? Keep me grounded? Yeah, you, yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, how you were talking about the gym being something that is completely within your control, something so tangible. Well, it's, there's very few things in this world we have control of at all. It's, no. Yeah. I'm also like, I've come to terms with like a certain degree of apathy, and I think that, uh, I don't know if some people call it stoicism. I think stoicism is just like apathy with a bow on it. Yeah, I was going that, that's a very accurate the, way to yeah, put it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You can't control shit. Yeah. Life is chaos, and I mean, nothing really Very means much. anything, and the sun's going to explode one day, and nothing will have mattered. That's so. kind of the beautiful part about it, too, in a sense, where at a first glance, you'd be like, oh, well, that's kind of like morbid or a little cynical or whatever, but yeah. like, not even at all, because if you, you bring it back to like kind of all of these like Buddhist disciplines or like spirituality and all these like practices, the whole point is that like this fucked up experience we're living is completely paradoxical. Yeah. Like it's totally fucked. Totally. Well, like that's, that's the entire point. freeing. Yeah, 100%. Right? Because that there is your explanation why there isn't truly like a congruent explanation. It's supposed to be fucked. Yeah. It, and 100%. It is. Yes. Entirely. If you come yeah. to terms with that and just accept it, what is it? The whole like nothing is nothing and nothing is everything and everything is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Oof. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I figured it out. It's great. Totally. Well, yeah. life's too short, man. You got to just try to do the things that make you happy and love the people that you love and try not to hurt the other ones. True. True. I think. And I, I've come to a... Fuck it. If we... I kind of like this now just for the spin too because it's like, um, I don't know, probably why I got along with you so well in the gym. It's like, this dude isn't just some jack motherfucker. This is a smart dude. So I'm like, let's pick <laughs> Thanks, your brain. Man. I think it's very welcome. Um, kind of cool to just, like I said the other day, um, laughing, just, you know, sort of uh, squashing stereotypes and something the other. Where, you right. know, we got some of like the biggest fucking bodybuilders out here in Canada. 
and you go and there's like this huge jack guy reading a fucking book on the stairmaster and it's just yeah, like true enough, so right? in, in the same premise of like you know just stripping down or whatever some stereotypes and whatnot why not you know take this one direction and uh fuck i forgot what i was gonna say you'll, you'll figure it out here we I'm go one two three go i want to kick back to the bike trip where you just picked up a cat I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, <laughs> How did that? How's it go? So I named him Tex, which because I'm not creative, and I found him in Texas. Yeah. Um, but he was like, uh, yeah. The vet said he was probably about two days old. Like he couldn't open his eyes or move. And sometimes, apparently, what happens is the the ranch cats, like the farm cats, try to transport their litter across the highways. Gotcha. And then when traffic starts to pick up, like there's six of them over there. There's only one over here, so yeah. they, they have to pick the six. Um, so this poor little cat had been left just like smack in the middle of a Texas highway. And it was just like covered in burns because the asphalt was so hot. Yep. Um, wasn't, wasn't doing well. And I'm a softie. So I scooped the little guy up and I just like boot immediately to the vet. And I get there and <laughs> these ladies, this is like South Texas. So these ladies are like, oh, isn't that sweet? Your girlfriend made you come bring the cat in? And I was like, no, I picked up the cat. And they were like, your girlfriend made you bring the cat? And I was like, no, like, <laughs> is he okay? And they were like, honestly, dude, like, this cat's not going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it's fucked. Um, excuse my language. Oh, and I was like, well, is there anything you can do? And they were like, well, we can put him on an IV and we can try to bring his temperature down. Um, and like, we can just try our best. That's all we can do. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds like a game plan, so do that. So they had him on the IV and on ice for like, I don't know, a couple hours. And then they were like, honestly, it seems like, might be like kind of a fluke. Like the cat seems like he's improving. And I was like, fuck yeah. And they were like, but dude, like, <laughs> you can't have this cat. Like, it's going to be so much work. First of all, it's fucked. Damn. Uh, and second, like, it doesn't have its mom. It's two days old. Like, it, it's going to be an enormous amount of work. And I was like, wow. Too bad. And they were like, oh, well, go. can your girlfriend take care of it? I was like, stop it. Like, I'm going to take care of the cat. <laughs> and so they had to show me how to, like, feed it with an eyedropper. And I had to feed it every two hours on the hour for, like, four weeks or something. Like, I had to set alarms. So you're doing this while you're tracking on the bike. You yeah, stop yeah, every yeah. two hours to feed the cat? Well, so I, I had a couple weeks left in Texas when I gotcha. found the cat. Okay. So it was, like, old enough to open its eyes and, like, feed itself by the gotcha. time I got on the bike. Uh, but me and Tex did like a three month trip across across the United States and we that got like so the cool. funniest looks stopping at gas stations and stuff because <laughs> I'd have them like in my leathers, like just like super cute. People would like take videos of us and stuff. Um, he did not like the motorcycle, but uh, we had a pretty good time. And uh <laughs> And I'd like, I mean, I stayed in hotels a couple of times, but for the most part, I would just sleep on the side of the highway next to the engine. It was warm. Shit. So That's hardcore, man. fucking sick, man. Yeah, I had a great time. And uh, I only almost died like two or three times. It was my, <laughs> my first full day into riding. Yeah. So I made it one day away from where I was living in Texas. Wake up the next morning. Oh, man, I got two good ones for you. I don't want to, like, talk too much. But you give her, man. So I'm one day into riding. And again, like, a bunch of my friends have been like, dude, you can't do this. Like, this is a bad idea. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. So I wake up the next day. And I'm leaving the hotel because I got a hotel for my first night. And the la I'm in Las Cruces, 
which I believe is New Mexico. I mm-hmm. can't remember. But I'm leaving the hotel, and the lady behind the desk goes, good luck. And I was like, that's a super weird way to say goodbye. But like, ah, oh, you too. <laughs> like, whatever. Hop that on is. my bike. It's like 6 a.m. And I'm making my way out of town. I'm trying to make like a really long haul this day. So I get on the highway, and I'm motoring, and I'm in the middle lane. And pretty quickly, I start noticing that the like the lanes are under construction, so they've got like these big deep divots Ooh. instead of uh, like lane dividers, like the the intermediate yeah. lines. So I now I can't merge. Like if I was to try to merge lanes, I would, I would flip the bike. Yeah. Um, which is nerve wracking, but like whatever, man. Like I'm just cruising. you got it, you got it. Yeah, exactly. So pretty quickly, I start noticing that the traffic on either side of me is like pick it up. And the traffic behind me really wants me to pick up too. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. So we're doing like, I don't know, 90 miles an hour. Pretty quickly, it's like 100 miles an hour. Now it's like 120 miles an hour. And I'm like, what is going yeah, on? Moving. And I look south and there's just this wall on the horizon. There's a Ooh. sandstorm coming off the desert. Ooh. There's like all these signs that say like, you know, in case of sandstorm, this and that and the other thing. <laughs> so everybody's freaking out. And it's my second day ever on a motorcycle. And the wind starts picking up, coming off this storm. And I'm doing like, without exaggerating, like 150 miles an hour now. Like Jesus fucking Christ. terrifying. Like bikes topped out. Totally, dude. Like, yeah. And this isn't, it's 2007. Like this thing's not like <laughs> happy to be doing yeah. 150. And every time a semi truck passes me or I pass one, it blocks like, the wind. Yeah. So I'm going to pick the bike up. As soon as I pass it or it passes me, I have to dump the bike into the wind and I'm literally dragging my my motorcycle pants on the asphalt. Like my knee is touching the ground and then I have to like correct every time a truck. It was terrifying. Yeah, no it was doubt. like that for like two straight hours. <laughs> and I finally made it where I was going. I've never been so tired in my life. It'd be exhausting. My knuckles were like I could barely take my hands off the oh dude, it was proper scary. <sighs> So I made wow. it through that day, and I was like, fuck yeah, proved him wrong. Like, 100%. You yeah, make it through that second day, you're fine. Well, and I was like, that was actually like a sick story. Cool. So the next <laughs> day, I'm driving through the desert, and I guess like state law doesn't require, I don't know why this would be proper stupid, but state law didn't require that you dictate that you're the last gas station for like 100 miles. Ooh. And I can't remember how many miles my tank got, but like at the time I had a... a a half tank rule. So if I passed a gas station on the highway and That's I had a half tank, fill up because I don't For know sure. what the next one's going to be. I passed a, t- a gas station, looked down. I had like three quarters of a tank. So I was like, oh, whatever. I'll get the next one. Yeah. A hundred miles later, I'm like bone dry. Like I can see my light is like starting to flash because the bike's starting to die. I'm like, fuck me, dude. And I'm in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Literally nothing for as far as you can see except for like these big semi trucks doing cross country yeah. hauls. So my bike dies, and I pull off to the side of the road, just turns off, because I'm like out of gas. And I have to hitchhike. So I've got my cat, (laughs) (laughs) and I leave my bike on the side of the road. I take a picture of the mile marker, just in case. Nobody can steal the bike. It's fucking scorched. So finally, this guy stops. And the guy was super, super nice, but like really weird, because he kept talking about how like, ah, like, I thought twice about it. You could murder me. Like... He, he, he just kept, kept saying talking that. that like I might murder him, and I was like, "We get it, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna murder you. Like, <sighs> stop talking about it." 
Um, but he was super nice. And he was like, dude, I don't think there's another gas station until Fort Stockton, which is the, the town coming up. Yeah. And it was like 300 miles or something. Holy fuck. Which is hours and hours think, and Bike won't even do that on a tank. Exactly. Yeah. So you're supposed to, on these long hauls, which I now do, have extra gas Couple tanks. jerry cans, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So anyways, we're motoring. We make it like 100 miles. And on the horizon, we can see an Exxon. And he's like, oh, baby, like, how about that? And I was like, yeah. And he's Perfect. like, you could murder me. Hit <laughs> you <laughs> one more time. Thank th- thanks for not killing me, dude. Exactly. And so he drops me off. And he's like, y'all good? And I've got my cap and my helmet and shit. And I'm like, yeah, man, thanks. So I go into the gas station. And this is like in the middle of the desert, dude. So I walk in. And the lady behind the counter is just like shocked to see a person. Yeah. <laughs> never seen a person in her life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I got to get a couple of jerry cans she's like what i was like jerry cans she's like what i was like gas cans and she's like oh they're over there so i get a gas can i'm like okay i gotta fill up on on supreme and she's like what i was like okay this isn't it's not going well it's not working no it's not working at all so i had to figure out how to pump the supreme because she couldn't figure out like literally nobody had ever been to this gas station so i fill up a pair now i gotta hitchhike back to my bike like oh hours i'm in full leathers i'm like 300 pounds got a big beard i got a cat and two gas cans i look crazy <laughs> i'm just standing in the middle of the desert like <laughs> now i look like i'm in a perfect cast on for mad max yeah exactly Ugh. and so the last person i would have expected literally it was like a filipino exchange student in a honda prius nice in the desert and he stops and picks me up and i was like eh, whatever we totally hit it yeah. off he was the best guy he like, actually awesome. wound up knowing some people that I kind of know. Anyways. Such a small world, such huh? Such a small world, yeah. <laughs> so he was a, a chiropractor, so he knew some people. But uh, nicest guy, brings me back to my bike, and he like won't leave until he's seen me fill it up and turn it on. He wants to make sure that's I'm a, okay. That's Super a real nice one right guy. there. Yeah, big time. So it fires up, and I'm like, hell yeah. Strap my cat down. Like, thanks so much, buddy. Give him a big hug. Hit the road. Now, this is my third day ever on a motorcycle, and it's like getting late in the middle of the desert. Yeah. So the sun's going down, probably should be cold riding. real oh, quick. It's getting yeah. cold, yeah. So I hit the road, and like two minutes into riding, it just smells so bad. And I was like, that's not me. That's not my bike for sure. Yeah. Keep motoring. Like two minutes later, I'm like, 100% my bike is on fire. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? is this smell and like right when i come to terms with the fact that like yeah that's my bike the bike yeah. just dies and i'm like Uh-oh. fuck me so it dies I pull off to the side of the highway take my phone off its little like gps stand and i look down at it and it's got two percent battery and i'm like fuck big <laughs> like, yikes all my friends were right i'm gonna die yeah. in the desert <laughs> so i happened to and this was really lucky die like right next to one of the signs that says like x amount of miles to the next city so I call that city's tow truck company mm-hmm. and I say, I'm at the sign. My phone's going to die. I need you to come pick me up. And she's like, you're way too far. Like, we're not going to send someone to do that. you got to call this guy. So she gives me a guy's number. I call him. And he's like, phone's no, dude, like, that's way too far. you got to call this guy. Call the next guy. Now I'm at 1%. Yeah. <laughs> that guy says, i got to call the first lady. Oh, I'm like, boy. fuck this. I call her back and I was like, listen... By the time I finish this sentence, my phone will be dead. If you don't send someone, I'm dying in the desert. Guess I'll see you if you send someone. <laughs> oh, my God. 
and my phone dies. So I have no idea Fuck. if someone's coming or not. And I'm like, well, I've got no option. So on the side of the highway now, it's like pitch black. Way too dangerous to be standing with my bike because all the semis can't see me. Like they're just passing doing like a million. Yeah. So I get my cat off. I get his like little food and his water and shit. And I walk like 20 <laughs> paces into the desert and it starts raining. And I'm like, fuck yes. <laughs> Perfect. Great. So I have him on his like little leash. And I'm just like taking a nap in the desert. He's like eating food and whatever. I can hear him like doing stuff off in the distance. Doing tech shit. Doing tech shit. And uh, like four hours later, tow truck rolls up. Perfect. Oh, baby. Like that lady saved the day. So he rolls up and he's like, dude. I'm like, yeah, man, I see you. Like I'm coming. He's like, man. I'm like, yeah, buddy. Like chill. He's like rattlesnakes. Oh, like, yeah. Touche. Oh, <laughs> the Canadian idiot yeah. is literally lying down in the desert Oof. off the side of the highway at night. And he's like, they're attracted to body heat, dude. Like, how long Oof. have you been there? I was like, I don't know, four hours. He's like, you're not dead. Legit. So, <laughs> Fuck. anyways, he's the nicest guy. Straps my bike up. This is like a long story, so I hope you like it. No, that's fantastic. So, he straps my bike up. He's like, so do you have, like triple a or insurance or whatever i was like dude i don't even have a license like uh i don't know like i have caa he's like what's canada yeah I'm like okay great so he's like i'm in no rush i'm getting paid no matter what and i'm working all night so maybe make some phone calls and yeah. i was like fuck okay so he has me plug my phone in in his truck phone's back on call caa i'm like hey i have an account with you guys i'm in texas Bike's dead, need a tow. And she's like, we don't cover Americans. Yeah. I was like, I'm Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in here. America. I'm like, just here. no, sir, you don't understand. We don't cover Americans. I was like, give me your manager. <laughs> like, you <laughs> yeah. don't understand words. I don't, <laughs> this is so frustrating. So she gives me her manager. I'm like, hey, I'm a Canadian in Texas. Bike's dead, need a tow. He's like, oh, well, you don't have a bike on your file. Do you want to add it? And I was like, yes. Go through this like 15 minute process of adding the bike. And then this guy is like, okay, great. That should be active in 15 days. I was like, what do you think I'm calling you about? Like, I don't understand what's happening. How are you both so incompetent? So I get his manager. That guy's like, okay, no problem. The bike's live, but AAA has to do the tow. We don't know for sure. You know, whatever. So I call AAA. They're like, we've never heard of Canada. What's that? I'm like, great, I need you to call this guy. So I give her his information. She calls him. He calls me back. He's like, fuck yeah, buddy. You're good to go. <laughs> You're good. Sick. <sighs> and it was like a $3,000 tow, US. Holy so great. Fuck. So the guy is like, okay, where do you want to go? And I was like, well, that town is where I was heading. So let's go there. And he's like, yeah, man, sure. But there's no motorcycle mechanic there. And I was like, Ooh. Okay, yeah. you tell me, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, where are we going? I'm checking out. I can't do this anymore. Like, where are we going? He's like, well, we can go north. There's a town four hours from here that has a motorcycle mechanic. I'm like, fucking great. So he takes me there. It's like six in the morning on a Sunday. And he's like, okay, we're here. Everything is closed until Tuesday. I'm like, oh my God, kill me. So I get a hotel and literally the next day, like also that guy was the best. Uh, like, shout out to that guy. Although yeah. he kept having me like hold his gun in the car. Super weird. But 
really nice guy. And he kept showing me his pay stubs too, which was like, all right, like cool man. Cool like, flags, man. You I, get it. Yeah, I guess. Like, congratulations. Yeah. Um, Love and life. But really nice guy. Uh, so I get in a hotel, and the next morning I wait until like a reasonable hour, but I just start calling the emergency numbers on like auto parts stores that mm-hmm. are local. Yeah. Being like, sorry, do you know someone <laughs> that works at a mechanic shop? And it was the coolest fucking thing, man. Like, they just started a phone chain for me, like, calling each other's buddies until yeah. they found a motorcycle mechanic that would come in on his day off, That's fix amazing. my bike. Long story short, I get the bike into the guy. That Exxon sold me gasoline from 200 years ago. It was just water and dirt. Wow. Fucked my bike. Had to pump the tanks, Ooh. change all the filters, whatever. But I was back on the road by the next afternoon. And after that, I carried cherry cans. So moral of the story, cherry learn cans. how to <laughs> ride a motorcycle before yeah. you do a cross-country motorcycle trip. That's but fucking cool, though. It was very, Holy very shit. Cool. And it was honestly like really very refreshing to see how happy to help people were when they found out that like, you know, I needed a hand. Someone's kind of in need, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, That's I would have to wait until Tuesday and I would have been fucked, so... I mean, I think there's a, a million elements to that story where you would have been fucked if people weren't yeah. awesome. That's <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. It was a really, really great trip. And that was honestly, like, those two were the, the scariest. And then, you know, I did, like, uh, Yosemite National Park mm-hmm. and Sequoia. A bunch of really, sure, really beautiful stuff, yeah. man. The, the Highway 1 is, is incredible down, uh, down the California coast. It's something that I would definitely suggest to, like, anybody... It's on the list. Yeah, for sure. And I'd be happy to do that with you, man. That'd be a lot of fun. 100%. Yeah. but Absolutely. Louisiana first. Let's do that one. Okay, deal. I mean, I think you got to get going soon. But, like, takeaway for uh, you, out of that trip, out of that whole, what what was the big takeaway from it? Big takeaway? Was there one? Big takeaway is, like, my straight-up motto, which is, like, just do the thing, dude. Like, Life's too short to put yourself in boxes. People get stuck in jobs they don't like because they think that's their career. They're stuck with friends they don't like because they've known them for a long time. Mm-hmm. They just do what they think they're supposed to. Do what you want to do without hurting other people as best you can. But like, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't have like a career. Do you know what I mean? I do what I am good at. When doors open themselves, I go through them. That's cool. Like, just do the thing if there's something that's important to you life's too short do it I love that yeah man me too it was a wicked episode appreciate you coming on man fuck yeah man thanks for having me yeah 100% very cool I'm glad I had the giant fucking brain part man because that story's fucking (laughs) sweet dude that's so good absolutely